Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Welcome to the Creek. Welcome our Grovetown campus, our South campus. We love you guys. Those who are watching online, it is 4th of July weekend, one of my favorite times of the whole year. And we've got some great things in store here today at the Creek. As you just saw in that video and Pastor JT talked about, it is a big time for us because we just came out of kids camp. And so I want to say thank you again to the many, many people who volunteered, who gave their time to make that happen. Thank you to Pastor Ryan and Caitlin and our incredible children's ministry team. Like we, we have got, at this church, our kids are getting something very, very special. And it's because of your volunteering, your giving, and the leadership of the staff in the kids department. And I'm so thankful to have a couple kids that age. They had a ball. So guys, thank you so very much for a great week. And I love being part of a church that's investing in the next generation because that's the future and that's also the present. And speaking of investing in the next generation, I wanna show you guys a picture of a family that's joining our church and I'm gonna tell you who they are. This is a picture of Drew Williams, his wife, Sasha, their precious kids, Noah and Ava. And I'm excited to announce Drew is our brand new youth pastor here at the Creek. We wanna welcome him. Drew, are you in here? There he is, and Sasha, and Noah, and Ava, the whole crew. What a beautiful family. We are so excited, so excited. You guys are famous. Ava, you're famous, Noah. So bless this family, guys. Moving is stressful. I don't know if you've ever moved with children, but it is stressful. So show them some love, give them some prayers and hugs. And if you've got some gift cards on you, give them that too. And no, they didn't pay me to say that, but hook them up. We are so excited to welcome them from Maryland. They're coming from Pastor Moe's home church. You guys remember the legendary Pastor Moe, friends with him. But uh, Drew is an exceptional leader. This family is an exceptional family. And I've got two teenagers myself, and I am really excited for them to continue to grow and thrive uh, under, under Drew's leadership and under what this whole family is going to bring. So welcome to the Williams family. We are so excited. And welcome to all of you guys. It is a great day to be at the Creek. It's 4th of July weekend, so I got my red, white, and blue shirt on. And I also love 4th of July memes. Like this time of year, people start posting funny memes, and that's my love language. Like I just, I love... I love stupid stuff. And so I collect it, I curate it, and I picked a few of my favorite 4th of July memes just for you today to get started. The first one, this might be my very favorite. It's the queen saying, happy treason day, peasants. I mean, is that not the perfect 4th of July meme? That's great. If you don't get it, you know, Google the history, it'll, it'll make more sense. Next is from the show, The Office. Uh, there we go. British saying, you can't be independent just because you said it. And Thomas Jefferson saying, but I declared it. And the reason I did this is because you guys tease me and say I look like this guy. That's why I included Michael Scott. Some of you are looking at me like, that's why he looks familiar. He does look like that guy. One left since we're talking about heroes, and you got to include a superhero. You guys have heard of Captain America. This guy goes by the name Captain America. So... I'm pretty sure this picture was taken at one of my family reunions. I've got a couple uncles that look, look like that. So those are, 
Those are the 4th of July memes. Uh, you know, you can send me some for next year. I'm always looking. I'm always on the lookout. So this sermon isn't about the 4th of July. This sermon is about a continuation of our series, Heroes, where together we've been opening up Scripture and looking at heroes, some incredible men and women who, through their lives, through their courage, through their faith, they did extraordinary things that we can learn from. And by their example, we ourselves can be inspired. And the good news is none of these people are perfect. As we talked about, Jesus is the only perfect hero in Scripture and in history. And all the rest of us, we're all sinned and we all need him to be our savior. However, there are still some good examples of imperfect people just like us and scriptures full of them that God used to do remarkable things. And each week we're gonna kind of focus in on one of them. Being a hero is something all of us can do because it doesn't require superpowers. You don't have to wear a cape. Being a hero is as simple as this. A hero is anybody who courageously follows God and guides others to do the same. And that's something all of us can do. Every single one of us. A verse we've come back to through this whole series is this one from Hebrews. It says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. So the Bible's telling us, listen, yeah, you can admire celebrities and athletes and all those folks, but if you want to really have heroes to, to model your life after, think about heroes of faith. Think about the people in Scripture and in your own life who were part of bringing you to faith in Jesus. Think about the people that volunteered at your kid's camp and took time off work so that they could paint their faces and play games with you, but also tell you the story of Jesus. Think about your own parents if you grew up in a Christian home, your grandparents, people that spoke life into you. Those are people whose lives we should be emulating. And Scripture also gives us examples of many. Last week we talked about Moses, an imperfect hero who God used to do some extraordinary things. And today I want to talk about one of my favorite heroes from Scripture, and her name is Esther, Queen Esther. She has a whole book of the Bible named after her and just a remarkable hero in faith. In fact, if you come over to our house, we have a painting in our, in our dining room of Queen Esther. Now, we don't know that's what she looked like because nobody knows for sure what she looked like, but it's what she may have looked like. And when I walk by that picture, I just am reminded of her courage. I'm reminded of the courage of a young orphan girl who grew into be a courageous queen and ultimately saved her people from annihilation. And it's a remarkable story. It's still a story that's celebrated today in both the, the Jewish and Christian traditions all around the world. And there's so much I believe we can learn from Esther. So here's kind of a quick recap of her story, kind of an overview of the book of Esther. There are four main characters in this book. First one is Esther herself. Her birth name was Hadassah. She was given the name Esther when she became queen. And the name Esther means star. Second main character is Mordecai. Mordecai was the adopted father of Esther. By the time Esther's story begins, and she's a young woman, she is an orphan. We don't know for sure how long she had been an orphan, but what we know is that she'd been raised primarily by Mordecai, who was also an older cousin of hers, but who had adopted her and loved her as a father. Mordecai also worked for the king in the king's palace as one of the officials. The king was very loyal to Mordecai because Mordecai had uncovered an assassination plot that had saved the king's life. The third main character in this story is the king himself. His name is Xerxes, who is famous not only for this story, but is a famous king throughout history. In fact, if you ever saw the movie The 300 about the Spartans who were fighting against the invaders, King Xerxes, the same King Xerxes, was in that movie and in that story uh, is the one leading the invading army because he was a, a, a king that was about building a large empire 
all throughout Asia and Europe. And the fourth main character in the story is the villain. His name is Haman. And Haman hated Mordecai, Esther's adopted dad. They worked together. Haman was a little higher up. He was kind of like the chief of staff for the king. He hated Mordecai, and because of that, he hated all of Mordecai's people, the Jews. And Haman had a plan and a plot to not only kill Mordecai, but annihilate all of the Jewish people. And so that's kind of setting the stage. Now, how did Esther become queen? We'll run through this before we, and then we'll, we'll jump into scripture. How many of you guys have seen the show, The Bachelor? Okay, yeah. It's like, it was so funny because you didn't want to admit it in church. You're like, I mean, I've seen it. I don't like it, but I've seen it. You DVR it, all right? I know who you are. So you, you know all their names. Okay, so if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the show, you're not missing much. But here's, here's the concept. It's like a dude... It's like one guy and like 30 girls and all the girls are like competing for his attention and then he breaks up with them one at a time and then he picks one to the very end and then they break up right after the show is over and that's how the show works. <laughs> so, so it's this one guy and he's like one at a time like dating and, and picking and breaking up. You might have think that the networks invented this concept of The Bachelor, but it was actually invented 2,500 years ago by King Xerxes and his nobles when they did a little contest to see who was going to become the new queen. So what happened to the old queen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Her name was Vashti. And, okay, King Xerxes was not a good husband. I'm just going to put this out there. Like, I do marriage ministry. We'd have a lot to say to King Xerxes. You know, he was not a good husband at all. So uh, he, had, he had a queen. He also had a, a harem. If you're unsure what that is, ask your parents afterwards. I won't dive into it now. But so he, he was not really a monogamous guy. He was, uh, didn't respect. He did not respect his bride. Let's just put it that way. And so he decided he no longer wanted Vashti to be his queen because she started, you won't believe this, having opinions about things. It was scandalous, I know. So he's like, well, I can't have this. I've got to get rid of the queen. And so he banished her. But let's face it, if your husband won't let you have opinions, being banished is probably a step up. Like Vashti was probably glad. She was like, this is great. I'm moving. I'm going. I'm out. So she packed her bags and was out. And then the king was like, well, I I need a queen though. What do we do? And he got together with his nobles, and they're like, have you ever seen The Bachelor? This is what we're going to do. We're going to round up all of the, the eligible women. We're going to send out scouts and find, like, pretty eligible women, and we're going to bring them in, and we're going to give them beauty treatments and pretty dresses. And, like, one at a time, you can kind of go out with them, and then you, you pick the one that you like the most. And Xerxes was like, that sounds great. Let's do this. So Esther got recruited, you know, by these, like, beauty scouts is, is being eligible and somebody that recruited for the contest. Now, Ezra probably didn't have a say in this, which just adds kind of an, an element of, of just sadness and even creepiness to the whole story. She probably didn't have a say. She was also probably very young at this point in the story. We're not given specific ages, but just based on what we know from kind of historical clues and context and age of marrying and everything else, she was probably high school aged uh, when she was recruited into all of this and then ultimately made queen. So her life changed very drastically from being, again, an orphan girl to placed in this position of power. But the power that she had wasn't real power because she was a queen in the sense that she had all these attendants and she had uh, people taking care of her every need and she could eat what she wanted and wear what she wanted and live in comfort and live in luxury but she really never saw her so-called husband. In fact, she wasn't allowed to enter his presence unless he, she was summoned by name, which did not happen often. 
She wasn't given any real power to make decisions. So she had a life of comfort, but it was still a very lonely existence. But God was going to orchestrate this very unique situation to put her in a place of saving her people. And we're going to dive into what that looked like. But first, we're going to talk about a few examples from her life that make her stand out as someone who who was able to be a hero when the moment called for it. The first is how she respected her adopted father, Mordecai, the respect and deference that she had for him. And I think it teaches us something about honoring the authority figures in our life. So the first thing Esther did, she chose to honor the authority figures in her life, starting with her adopted dad, that she trusted him. And if he asked her to do something, she knew that he had the best intentions at heart and she would do it. The Bible has a lot to say about honoring Authority. This is one way Esther did it. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. That might not have made sense to her. It's like, but Mordecai, listen, like our 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 faith and our ethnicity is tied up in the fact that we're Jewish, and this is a huge part of who we are. Why could I not say that? But she chose to trust him because he saw the bigger picture. He saw that Haman was cooking up this plot to annihilate the Jewish people and that she would be putting herself at risk if she would reveal that aspect of who she was. And so Esther, not knowing the full story, chose to trust that Mordecai was telling the truth. I think that when we choose to honor the authority figures in our life, God honors us. Now, I know the irony of saying that on 4th of July weekend when our whole country was birthed out of rebelling against authority, but there is certainly a time and a place when the authority in our lives become tyrannical and become unhealthy to the point where we're harming ourselves and others to remain under that authority, where there are times when we have to prayerfully and courageously remove ourselves from underneath very unhealthy authority, but through it all, we always remain under God's authority. So everything we do, we do underneath the authority of God, and whenever we can honor the authority figures in our life as we do it, God honors us. In fact, skipping ahead to the New Testament, the one time in all the Gospels when Jesus was amazed at somebody's faith, it was over this issue of authority. So a quick version of the story, there was this Roman centurion, which means he was a Roman soldier who had 100 soldiers underneath him, and this Roman came to Jesus and he said, Lord, listen, I've got this servant at home who's really sick, and this servant is like part of my family, and and the doctors can't help him, but you can help him. Will you heal him? And Jesus said, yeah, I'll come to your house and heal him. And then the soldier said, no, no, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. Besides, I know how authority works because I'm under authority, which gives me authority to the people who are under me. So if I give an order, they'll follow the order. If I receive an order from above, I follow the order. I know that you have been given all authority and I submit to that authority. And I believe that all of nature and all of sickness and everything in the world submits to that authority. And I know, Lord, if you'll just say the word, my servant will be healed. And the Bible says Jesus was amazed at his faith. And at that very moment, the servant was healed. There's something powerful that happens when we step underneath the authority of God and we choose to respect that authority structure that he's placed in our lives, starting from children, we respect our parents and all the way through. And when we rebel against the authorities that love us, when we rebel against the loving authority, whether it be God or whether it be a parent when we're a child or some other, it it invites pain, unnecessary pain into our own lives. And I could tell you a bunch of stories, because I'm a slow learner, of times when I rebelled against authority 
and I paid the price. I'll give you a couple examples. All right, so I got this little scar right here above my eye. And how did I get that scar? This is how it happened. I was playing baseball in our backyard as a kid, playing catcher. And I was standing too close to the batter so that when he would swing his bat back, the bat would come really close to my head. And my dad, who was out there, he said, hey, Dave, back up. You're too close. The bat's going to hit you in the head. And I'm thinking, well, maybe for you, old man, but I'm quick. Next swing, I wasn't so quick. Very next swing, bat came back, smacked me right in the head, blood gushes, had to go get stitches. So I get this little reminder when I look in the mirror, like, I should have listened to dad. Years later, I got a bunch of stories in between, but I'm skipping ahead for your benefit. <laughs> Teenager, driver's permit, dad's riding with me. We're in Kentucky on this little country road where we lived, and it was winter, so there was some ice on the road, and there was a curve coming up. And dad said, you need to slow down when you get to that curve. You know, there might be ice. And I thought, Psh, I'll show you how to drive. I was going at appropriate speed, and I was going to show him just how well I could handle this geoprism. And so I <laughs> start coming around this curve, and this truck starts coming the other way, and it's a narrow road, and so I have to swerve quickly to miss it. And as I swerved quickly, I hit a patch of ice, slid off the road into the neighbor's fence. It was a long moment of silence after I hit that fence. I've, I've got other stories, but again, we're, we're running out of time. So there have been so many times in my life where I had to learn the hard way that, listen, if I will just lovingly submit to the authority God has placed over my life and trust that maybe they do know more than I do, or even if they don't in this particular instance, maybe I can honor God by honoring them. And as I do that, I step into a place to receive God's blessing instead of receiving unnecessary pain on my life. Because whenever God tells us to do something, it's for our protection. It's like a guardrail up on the interstate to keep you wandering into oncoming traffic where you're going to harm yourself and others. And so we look at God's rules and regulations sometimes like, oh, he's trying to limit our fun, when really it's the opposite. He's trying to enhance our lives so that we can have the best possible life as we walk with him and not hurt ourselves and others along the way. And so Esther understood that. She chose, even now in a position of being a, a queen, a position of power, she chose to trust to trust someone in her life who was older and wiser, who she knew had her best interests at heart, and she chose to follow that example. And I think that there's something we can all learn from her being humble enough in that moment to still receive instruction. What else did Esther do? In a defining moment, Esther chose to be courageous and selfless. Really, all of this story is moving toward this, this climactic moment where Haman's plot is being put into action which means the Jewish people are all going to be killed if he follows through on this and the king signs off on it. And Esther starts learning this is happening because the people in the palace tell her things. She's won over all the attendants and all of the people who, who work in the palace because her heart is so pure and they all love her as a queen uh, because she loves them. And so they're telling her what's going on and she's like, I don't know what to do with this information. And she's talking to Mordecai about it. And Mordecai challenges her to use her position of influence to help save her people. And he challenges her without mincing any words. This is what he said in Esther chapter 4. When Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family, your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. 
Some of the most famous words in the Bible right there at the end, for such a time as this, a reminder that all of us have moments of destiny, moments of where we're in a situation or a season of life that doesn't completely make sense, as I'm sure Esther was. She's like, why am I here? Why is this my life right now? I didn't choose any of this. And now I'm I'm surrounded by all of these strange customs and things. And on one hand, I'm comfortable because I'm being pampered and treated like a celebrity. But on the other hand, I'm an unloved wife and I'm, I'm in a position where I don't have any real power and it's lonely and I don't know why I'm here. And Mordecai is saying, well, maybe God put you in this position for such a time as this. And if you're right now at a crossroads moment of life and you're thinking maybe God's opening a door of opportunity or there's something that he's, he's nudging you to do and fear is holding you back, well, maybe God has put you right where you are for such a time as this. And Esther had a decision to make. I can stay comfortable. I can just continue to live being pampered. And we talked about last week with Moses, you know, he could have just stayed in the Egyptian palace while his people were being enslaved and mistreated, but he chose to leave that temporary comfort to put himself in a dangerous position where he could have an eternal impact because he did not want to live with regret. He didn't want to exchange temporary comfort for permanent regret. And Esther's like, I don't want to exchange a life of just being pampered for a life of meaning and purpose. And so I'm going to step into this moment. And here's what she said. Then Esther replied back to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And then you see now this this authority in some ways being reversed. Now, Esther stepping into that position as leader and telling Mordecai, this is what I need you to do. I need you to gather the people. I need you to fast for me. And now him submitting, understanding this is all part of God's plan. And together, we're gonna follow this and together we're gonna enter into this moment. And they pray and they fast for three days, setting up for the moment when Esther is gonna enter into the king's presence uninvited. And again, if you entered into the king's presence in these days uninvited without being summoned, it was a death sentence. There was no trial, it was just a death sentence, unless in a moment of mercy, he extended his scepter to you, meaning your life could be pardoned. But this never happened because nobody ever dared enter into the king's presence. But she knew, I can't wait for him to call me. I don't know when that's gonna happen. My people could be dead by then. Now is the time. I can't wait for it to be convenient because if we spend our lives waiting for the most convenient time, the convenient time never comes. We have to stay active and we have to take courage. And she knew now was the moment. And she chose to step into the king's presence. There was a movie that came out several years ago called One Night with the King. And I want to show a clip from that movie that depicts this precise moment where she chose to enter into the palace. And it gives us a picture of what this moment may have looked like and may have felt like. So let's take a minute and watch this together. Summons she comes before the king. She does. 
the protocol not broken? Yes, protocol has been broken down! So in that moment of courage, her life was spared, and it was really just one of the first of many moments of courage that she had to have to help the king understand what was really going on. So she invited him along with the villain Haman to come to a, a meal that she was going to prepare for them, and during that meal, she started to lay out the plot that Haman had been cooking right in front of him. She addressed face-to-face -face the very villain of the story, and when he had been found out course, in panic and, and cowardice, he, he started to, to plead for mercy. But the king, realizing that this tyrant had been using his own position of power to manipulate the king and ultimately try to bring about a genocide, the king commanded that Haman be executed. And so the, the plot was, was undone. And that brings us to something else Esther did that I think we can learn from. She cho chose to see the position she'd been placed in, not just as a promotion for herself, but as a responsibility to others. Esther chose specifically to leverage her influence to serve and protect others. It's what she asked the king when he could have granted her anything, more comfort for herself, more power for herself. She said this, Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request. So she recognized wisely, as all of us should, that whatever influence, whatever resources we're given in life, it cannot just be for us. When we start thinking that it's just for our own comfort or for our own legacy, and we start hoarding things instead of sharing them, then we've really missed out on what the point of blessing and what the point of, of any kind of influence is in the first place. That It's meant to be used to help those around us. And as we help them, we ourselves are blessed in the process. And Esther understood that. She understood that, that deeply. And, and because of that, because of that one single choice in her defining moment, history was changed for her people. In fact, 2,500 years later, uh, you know, a few years back when I had the chance to visit Israel and I was having a, a, a Sabbath dinner, a Shabbat dinner, which is something that many Jewish families will do on Friday night, and they, they were going through their traditions and inviting us to participate in it. And even then, even at that meal, 
they still tell the story and retell the story of Queen Esther's courage. They still celebrate it. You know, once a year in the Jewish tradition, one of their biggest festivals is the festival of Purim, where they just celebrate that all of their lives were spared because of this one woman's courage. And the little girls will dress up like Queen Esther, and they'll dress up like princesses and queens from all that time ago, wanting to be like their superhero, a superhero without any superpowers except for the superpower of courage, who used her influence to help save her people. And all of us have opportunities. It's going to look different. Your story and my story is going to look different than Moses's did, and it's going to look different than Esther's did. But as we talked about last week, that God tells us in Scripture, all of our stories are a part of the same story God was writing through their faith and is continuing to write through ours. And that story isn't complete until we do our part. God chose you and I to be born in this specific place, in this specific time in history, for specific purposes. And we can't miss it just by going through the motions, just by thinking, well, there's nothing special about my life or my job. Every one of us, every day, has opportunities to make an eternal influence by living out our faith in practical, authentic ways to those who are around us. One final thing Esther did. Esther chose to use her elevated status to elevate others. She didn't, it wasn't enough just to, to save her people, but she continued to work to make sure that they were given the opportunities that they deserved, and they were given the respect within the community that they deserved. And so within that whole culture, within that entire part of the earth, uh, her people went from a place of being kind of sub-citizens to being equal citizens. And Mordecai, the man who had raised her, she made sure that he was promoted. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white and a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness, joy, gladness, and honor. And what a legacy. What a legacy to have been part of something like that. But here's the deal. All of us are creating a legacy through every single thing that we're doing. A legacy is something that's gonna outlive us. And I was reminded about legacy this week more than usual because I was a part of several funerals. And, and one that, that really impacted me deeply is, is I was here for, for the father of Pastor Marty. You may have heard, you may have gotten an email from the church, but Pastor Marty's dad, Charles Lindsey Baker, who was a faithful member of this church for years, he passed away this week. Here's, here's his picture, and this is the picture that was on screen during the celebration of his life. And many of you, if you've been around, you've, you've seen this smiling face here at the church because he was always smiling. He was. I mean, I even told him, I said, if you ever wanted to just disguise yourself, go into witness protection, all you'd have to do is stop smiling and nobody would recognize you because he was so full of joy. But as we talked about legacy, and I, I sat and I just listened to Pastor Marty and, and other relatives share stories from his life, it reminded me like what really matters. Because here's a guy that died with almost no earthly possessions. I mean, at the end, like all he had left really to his name was a, was a recliner that was in his, his room and uh, in some clothing. And yet he was one of the richest people anybody knew because he understood that real wealth, real riches, it can't be measured in dollars and cents, but it's, it's in faith and it's in love. And that's where he invested his time. He worked hard to make sure the, the family coming after him had every opportunity. They got opportunities that he didn't have. And he found his joy in seeing others thrive, investing in, in kids, not only his own kids and grandkids, but he had such a heart for the children's ministry here at this church in any place that was helping children. 
And as I heard these stories, I sat back and I thought, you know, Lord, help me to reframe the way that I look at success. Because me, maybe like some of you, sometimes I get caught up in thinking that success is what the world says it is, which is, you know, how, how much stuff you can accumulate or how much, you know, how much popularity you can accumulate. And at the end, that is so shallow. Unless we're using those things for the greater good. We're using those things to point people to Jesus and to serve and make the lives better of those around us. And I'm so thankful for people who have done that. I'm so thankful for people like Mr. Baker. And please continue to pray for Pastor Marty's family as, as they're still grieving this very, very fresh loss and will be for, for some time. Just remember them in your prayers. But for all of us, I think that there's a hope that we should have as followers of Jesus, even in moments like this, even in moments of funerals where there's a joy and a peace we can have even as we grieve of knowing that because of what Jesus has done for us, death's no longer the end of the story. Esther knew that if she got killed as she entered the king's presence, it wasn't the end of her story. That it was God saying, it's time for you to come home. You did your part. It didn't work out the way that you thought it would, but you still know that God is faithful. You still acted in faith. You're gonna spend eternity with me. And I think we can live with that kind of courage that there's nothing in this world that we truly have to fear once we've put our hope in Jesus Christ because even death can't really take anything away from us. And when we live that way, it makes the time we do have on earth so much more meaningful because no longer now is fear holding us back. And we can live with the faith that God calls us to have in all parts of our life. And that's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to live with faith and he wants you to live with the courage of knowing that he's with you, he is for you, and he's bigger than anything that you're gonna face. And if you're facing something today, as so many of us are, if you're carrying some big invisible weight on your shoulders right now, just know that God is with you in it. And you can trust him with it in prayer. And it doesn't mean he's gonna instantly take it away. It might still be a struggle for time to come, but he's gonna walk with you through that struggle and he's gonna bring good about it on the other side as you continue to walk with him. So as we wrap up, I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray specifically for those here today that maybe you're wondering what that next big step of faith is for you. You wanna enter into your moment of destiny and you're thinking, Lord, it just feels like all the doors are closed right now. I don't know where to go. I don't know what that looks like, but help me to be faithful right where I am as I wait. Help me to live faithfully right where I am, but also, Lord, open that door for me. Show me what you have for me next and give me the courage to walk through it. And I also wanna pray for those here today who might not know Jesus yet. Those at our Grovetown campus, those at our South campus, those watching online, if you're here today and you haven't made that decision to trust Jesus with your life, it's the most courageous and important decision you'll ever make. And today can be the day that you change your eternity by inviting him in. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for giving us examples from scripture of, of heroes like Queen Esther, people that we can look to and say, God, they weren't perfect either, but they lived a real faith. Help us live a real faith in our time. Help us make a real difference for you, Jesus, in our time. For those here today who are struggling, God, give them the assurance that you're with them. We know you're with us all the time, but so many are hurting right now. Give them your strength. I pray your blessing on Pastor Marty and his family as they continue to grieve. God, I pray your blessing on Drew and Sasha Williams and Noah and Ava, we're so thankful for them. We're so thankful you've led them to this church. And, and as they move and just do all that's going on with that, let them feel your blessing and your provision every step of the way and bless the days ahead for them, God. We're so thankful they're here. 
And God, for all of us, as we leave this place in a moment, let us leave knowing you're with us and that you're for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for those who made camp possible this week. All you volunteers and parents and and Pastor Ryan and Caitlin and our whole incredible kids team, you guys knocked it out of the park. You guys have a great 4th of July and we will see you next week. God bless. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.